uh, has somewhat been a hotbed of discussion in, among fundamental independent Baptists uh, for at least for a number of years. Jeff was getting ready to go, wanted to present his work at a church, and the preacher said, I got one question for you, and I want you to think about it. He said, uh, uh, is repentance required to be saved? And, and he said, uh, think about it. And Jeff said, I believe it is. And the guy said, well, you can't come. That's how divisive this issue has been. It's been, been he said, well, we, we believe repentance is a form of works. Well, I think you can make it that, but biblically it's defined. I'm going to go through it tonight with you one more time, and we'll see what it is. Uh, but I believe it, it's more like this. Faith, it, it's, it's, imagine a coin. And on one side of the coin, you have faith and believe. The two terms, faith and believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know, for grace are you saved through faith. And it's not a, a works, it's a gift of God. So put that on one side of the coin. But now it's one coin, right? And the other side of the coin, put repentance. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Uh, I preach repentance to all oh men. I'll go over these verses with you. So repentance and faith are one coin. Uh, it's, it's what unlocks uh, the Holy Spirit and, and your new birth. Is when we meet God's condition of repentance and faith. It's funny in the Bible, he, in some areas, he just uses the word repentance. Repent. Now, I'll show you that. Other places in the Bible, he uses the word faith. No repentance, no belief. Other places, he used believe, no, no faith, no repentance. And what eventually, as you go through all of that in the Bible, what you find out is those, they're all synonymous. They're one. They're not three separate things, really. They're one thing that happens supernaturally by the Holy Spirit uh, enlightening you. The Bible says the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Why don't the world believe? Because there's a blinding process going on in this world. A strong. How strong? The whole world is going to be over in 10 years if we don't do something about global warming. That's how strong. How strong? Uh, this whole thing that you see out here, as complex it is, came uh, from simple to complex, called evolution. The, 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 the people who believe in evolution have been strongly blinded. Uh, there's been a delusion that's been brought upon them. Now, we know, because we know the Bible, that that strong delusion comes from, there's only two sources in the world. There's only two sources. Don't try to make it more complicated. The Bible says there's God and there's Satan. There's light and there's darkness. There's good and there's evil. I mean, it's just two sources. There's not three, four, five. And so it's, it's, something's either of God or it's of the evil one. It's of light or of its darkness. There's no gray area with God, by the way. There's no gray area in things. It's, light, it's right and wrong, uh, good or bad. And so we see, let me just start out with saying what Jesus said. In, Matthew, in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, he says, and verse 5, he says it twice. And you know I said this many times. If your parents say something once to you, you ought to do it. If they say it twice, you better do it. And Jesus would say, verily, verily. And only in the book of John is that found. But verily, verily means you better get this. And when Jesus says something twice, you better get it. And as he's preaching in Luke chapter 13, verse 3 and verse 5, he says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. No mention of faith, no mention of, of, of the word belief. 
so in, in essence, what he is saying is you will not be saved if you don't repent. Because if you don't repent, you're going to perish. And if you don't, that means you're not going to be saved. If you perish, you're not going to be saved. Am I, am I simple enough? So if you perish, you're not going to be saved. So he's saying basically if you don't repent, you're going to perish. And so repentance by Jesus is linked to salvation. Now don't get dispensational on me. Don't get ultra dispensational on me for sure. Because we're talking about Jesus who wrote the whole book. Uh, through the Holy Spirit and the Father and Him that wrote the whole book. They knew what they were talking about. And so we see that repentance is, is uh, part of, uh, you need it to be saved basically on what Jesus said. The main substance of both Jesus' preaching and John the Baptist preaching was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 says, And saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the main subject matter of the disciples who were sent out uh, by Jesus and the people of Israel under Jesus' ministry. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he says, He called unto the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, when we go door to door, we try to go two to two based on that same formula. And in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, And they went out and they preached. What did they preach? That men should repent. Um, even dead men believe in repentance as part of salvation. You say, what in the world? Well, that's Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man died and was buried. He went to a place called Hades, and he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. But he was conscious. There's, in fact, I listed one time 14 specific things that they're able to do, that people that are dead are able to do after death. 14 different things. They can see, they can hear, they can, they can uh, feel, they can, they, can, they can have compassion, they can remember people. You know, they have 14 different things. That they do. So if you think you're going to die, if you think death is just death, a cessation of all consciousness, it's not according to the Bible. That may be in your imagination or some wild-eyed guy, but that's not what the Bible teaches. I think death is just a door that you walk through. And it's a change of venue, if I want to put it that way. It's a change of venue, but it's not a, not a cessation of your consciousness at all. And that takes, by understanding death that way, it takes a whole new light about it. Amen? Uh, it, takes, it's just, it changes the way people think about it. And anyways, in Luke chapter 16, verse 30, he said, Nay, Father Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, in other words, he said, send Lazarus back and tell my brothers about this place, and I have five of them, and they won't come to this place. And I appreciate his reasoning, but it wasn't biblical. He said, he said send one back and tell them, uh, if, that if one came back from the dead, like if they saw Lazarus, what they knew sitting by his gate, and they knew him, <clears throat> and they saw Lazarus, they knew they buried him, and uh, they, all of a sudden they saw him, they would say, Lazarus, he says, I'm back from the dead, and I want to tell you, uh, your brother's there, and he doesn't want you to go there, and what's he say to them? Believe? No, he says, they will repent. He says they will repent. So even the dead man thought what they had to do to be saved was repent. And so that's interesting. In verse 31, he says, 
And, of course, uh, Abraham says if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one, one rose from the dead. So that's the power. If people won't accept the Word of God as preached and as taught and as put before them, they will not accept it due to any kind of miracle. Now, that's where it's coming for. I mean, I have people tell me, if God would manifest himself to me, I'd believe. Would you? The truth is, you don't know yourself. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And God says, you wouldn't. He said, if you won't believe the words that I've spoken, basically put for you, you're not going to believe the one would be from the day. If, if, if my dad showed, if I was going to say my dad showed up, I wouldn't believe. <clears throat> it was Peter's message when the church first began. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. Now, he said repent in, the, in his first sermon. He said repent and be baptized for remission of sin. I explained that in, in uh, prayer meeting. And in the second sermon he preached, he preached, says repent therefore and be converted. So two things consistent in his invitation on the first two sermons he preached. By the way, a lot of people got saved. First, two things very consistent was he said repent. Repent. That was consistent with Jesus' message. That was consistent with John the Baptist's message. That was consistent with the dead man's message. And that, was, and that was the message of the church. They went out preaching repentance. And he said, repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times refreshing come in the presence of the Lord. It was Peter who told Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts, chapter 8, uh, when he wanted to pay for the power of the Holy Spirit, he said in verse 22 there, he said, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So he used the word repent. Personally, I don't think we use the word repent enough. You're beginning to get that? Yeah, well, you're going to more of it. Um, it was the message of Paul, the apostle, that he spoke to the heathen idol worshipers at Athens in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, when he said, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at. In other words, he, he allowed it to happen. But now commandeth, all men everywhere to repent. He could have used to have faith in Christ, to believe, but he says to repent. Uh, it was Paul that preached everywhere he went. Acts 26, 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them at Damascus and Jerusalem throughout all the coasts of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. Now, that separates works and repentance right there. He separates it. He said repentance is an attitude you have, and then after you have that attitude, you get saved, you should have works that um, would testify that you actually repented. Now, you people here tonight, I don't know all of you here tonight, but most of you here tonight have testified to me, as your pastor, that you are saved. How do I know that? I only know it by your works. I know, I, no man can see into somebody's heart. God and you have, a, have, you have a heart relationship with God, and he knows your heart, but I don't know your heart. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. I only have the outward appearance to go by. So when I look at Tom Gillespie, somebody says, is Tom born again? I can go through a list of things 
that I say, I believe Tom repented and trusted Christ because he brought forth works, meat for repentance. Amen? And they were, they were fit for having repentance towards God. Now, that makes all those people out there that say they're saved but have no works that, that, that testify repentance in a scary position. Doesn't it? I worry about them. I hope they're saved. I hope somehow they get saved by the skin of their teeth. That's a Bible term, by the way, book of Job. I, uh, I hope that they, they are saved as by fire. But I wouldn't want to meet God the way some of them are going to meet God because I wouldn't want him to say, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Because you know what? There's no going home after that. In other words, you're going to be cast in the lake of fire, according to judge, according to your sin and works, and there's no crying out of it. There's no begging out of it. There's no deals can be made. Once you stand before Jesus Christ and are judged for your life, that is it. It's no more for all eternity. That's going to be it. It's important that you get this thing right. So let me read some passages after saying all that. You remember the lame man, John chapter 5? Uh, let me read it. Chapter 5, verse 1. It's quite a bit of scripture. Quite a bit of scripture, but let me read quickly. Kind of give some, not everybody here understands or knows this part of the Bible. So let me try to read some of these, even though you may be familiar with After there, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was at Jerusalem a sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. I have been there. I've seen it. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind and halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For the angel went down a certain season in the pool and troubled the water, where whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease they had. A certain man was there which had an infirmity, 38 years. I, I cannot imagine it. I can't. I had gout for 25 years, and I couldn't hardly imagine that. I had my migraines for 25. I've been married 47. I can't even imagine it. But now those two, well, I mean, don't compare When Jesus saw him, lie, and he knew he had been now a long time in that case. He said unto him, will thou be made whole? Yeah, I really would like to. Well, he gives a story about, you know, he gets, the water gets troubled. Somebody jumps in before him. And all these years he's been sitting there waiting for the water to get troubled. It gets troubled. He, he don't get there. He never gets in. He's lame. He can't walk. And Jesus said in verse 8 there, rise, take up that bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. They took up his bed and walked, and the same day was the Sabbath. Now, he, he had a, you have a spell on that kind of thing. He was made whole. He took his bed up. Later, in verse 14, afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said to him, Behold, thou art made whole. Now, what's he say to this guy? He says, Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. <laughs> what's worse and 38 years as an absolute cripple 
in a society with no handicap support and very little compassion on being handicapped. What could be worse than that? I'll tell you what's worse. Hell. That's what's worse. And, and uh, he, he warns the guy, go and sin no more. What, why would he say that? Because true repentance changes you. Changes you. He's giving the guy a heads up. You really, you really want to, you want, you want this to be permanent? You got to repent. It's got to be a, a, a sense of change. I'm not talking more about it. So repentance, in this case, triggered uh, this man. And the last thing Jesus said to him, go and sin no more. Okay, he says that again in chapter 8. You may remember the verses. By the way, the modern Bibles translated from the Westcott and Hort, uh, corrupt text, if I may say, uh, delete this, these 11 verses. Can you imagine the audacity of any human being deleting 11 verses of the accepted, historically accepted Bible? I'd be worried about that because the Bible says something about people who add or take away, that their name will be taken away from the book of life. I, I'd be concerned about that, man. For 17-plus centuries, John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11 was in the Bible. And this guy by the name of Westcott and Hoare decided that they were smart and intellectual and knew better and thought that had been somehow added in as the years. And so they said, well, we need to take that out of there. And even the modern Bibles you buy out here, if they put it in, they put a little note on the side and said, this really doesn't belong in the most ancient manuscripts. Don't you believe it? The old King James Bible, the people who translate that, 44 people, some of the smartest people ever walked the planet. They really were. They were some of the smartest people ever walked the planet. I, I read a profile on every one of them. It was a one-time gathering of intellects that King James made happen. Actually, God made happen through King James, right? And he put them guys together to translate an English version that would be above every other English version to be the most accurate version, and he did, called the King James Bible. For 400-plus years, that thing has been servicing the English-speaking people with power. I personally am not going to argue against that because the Bible says move not to ancient landmarks that forefathers have set. I was given this thing, and I'm keeping it. And I hope you young people don't just say, well, it's an old thing, we'll throw it away. I hope you keep it. It's reliable and it'll help you. And, and in this, uh, I have to say all that because if, you, if you're sitting there with an NIV, if you're sitting there with an NASV, if you're sitting there with New English Bible, if you're sitting there with whatever, uh, they'll have in the note that this is really not a reliable section of the Bible. Don't you believe it? Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came to the temple, and the people came unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should, <coughs> that, we should that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They're trying to trap him, and this say they, tempting him, they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger rolling the ground, as though he heard them not. Now, what did he write in the ground? Nobody knows. But I think he wrote, there's Bill Lytell's supposition. It's just what it is, supposition. I think he wrote sins on the ground. And they looked at what he wrote on the ground. He wrote, possibly he wrote their sins. And they, they began it. Well, I know one thing. Whatever he wrote, he got, they got convicted. 
And um, rose finger to the ground, I hear him not. So when they continued asking, he lifted himself up and said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone in her. And again, he stooped down and rolled on the ground some more, basically. And they heard it. They being, what happened to him? They got convicted. They got uncomfortable by their own conscience. Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest. Makes sense. They had more sin than the younger people. Even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, uh, Where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Well, they had drug her there. And in verse 11, she said, No man, Lord. And this is amazing what Jesus said. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. To the lame man, to this woman caught in adultery, he emphasizes bringing forth works that are meat for repentance. You want to get saved? You want to know Christ? You want to have your sins forgiven? If you truly and honestly get born from above, things are going to change. The conclusion of the matter is repentance must involve a deep sense of guilt. Remember Zacchaeus? I bought two sycamore trees because of Zacchaeus. I got them in my house. Sycamore grow all over the United States, I believe. But I didn't know they'd grow in Florida, so I bought a sycamore tree. You know what? A sycamore tree has a real slick bark. Why? Because when Zacchaeus came down, he took the bark off. That's what they taught me in Sunday school. But if you look at a, at a, at a, at a uh, sycamore, it has a real smooth skin on it, almost a skin on it, not a normal bark. But my, my sycamore now is about 50 feet high, 40, 50 feet high, about that big around. And it went through all these hurricanes. And so it has a slick skin. I, every time I go by it, I think of Zacchaeus. I say, in honor of Zacchaeus, I, I two of those trees in my house. And so <clears throat> he comes, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the Bible says, is the head chief of the publicans. That's like the chief of the bad guys. The publicans were the most hated people in Israel. They were usually Jews who taxed Jews for the Romans. That's like working for the enemy, right? And so they were the worst, most hated, but, but, but they extorted the people because Rome didn't care. Rome said, give me so much, anything you collect above that, you keep it. Imagine how that worked. So if you owe $400, brother, he said, okay, you owe 600 bucks. And if you don't pay it, they come get all your stuff. you got the Roman government behind him. So you give him 600 bucks, he gives Rome 400, he keeps 200, or maybe double, or whatever, you know. These guys were extortionists, they were hated. But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus got right with God. He did. Now look at that. And, and Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, this is Luke 19, 8, Behold the Lord... Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. That's big. The Bible says he was very rich. Half I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Wow. And what did Jesus say? He said, this day salvation come to this house for as much as he also was the son of Abraham, working for the Rome. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So what happens? Zacchaeus, Jesus pronounced him basically saved. But what does Zacchaeus say before Jesus said, you're saved? He says, salvation has come to this house. We know Zacchaeus got saved. Jesus said it. He knew the heart of man. I couldn't say it. You couldn't say it. But Jesus could say it. Salvation has come to this house. He got saved. What, what happened, the, Zacchaeus said, hey, I'm serious about this. I'm not playing around about being saved. I, I'm giving half of my goods to the poor because I know I've stolen it from people. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give anybody I've extorted fourfold, which I believe was according to the law of Moses. And, and I'm just going to make things right. In other words, repentance triggered restoration. Or let me use a favorite word of the Democrats, reparation. Repentance triggered reparations. Uh, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make it right. And I, I've seen people that really and I, and get right with God. Brother, they go and try to find people to get right with. They get right with their mother. They get right with their father. They get right with their uncles and their aunts. They get right with their cousins. They get right with their employers they stole from. They get right with the police. They get right with the law. They get right with everybody. They go, why? Because the Holy Spirit of God, that's what he said to do. It's fruits, meat for repentance. You say, but I'll go broke. I'd rather die naked and broke, but right with God, than to die with a bank full of money. By the way, leave it anyway. <clears throat> we have an old gentleman with us tonight, a 70-year-old man, Robert Jensen. And he, he, Robert's worked for funeral home for a number of years. Robert, nobody takes anything with them, do they? Nope. They die. They pretty much die naked. No matter how fancy dancy you are, no matter, oh, nobody's ever seen me naked. Well, the mortician will. Well, nobody's ever seen, yeah, he will. You take all your clothes off, take all your blood out, put some formaldehyde in you, and uh, put some, by the way, ladies, You'll not put your makeup on the last day. They will. And they'll do your hair. And it may not look the way you want it to look, but you know what? They don't care, and neither do you. Death is the ultimate humbler and leveler, isn't it? <clears throat> so what we learned, we learned three things about repentance, what we've said so far. Repentance must involve a deep sense of guilt. Repentance must involve a deep sense of sorrow. Uh, first, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. 10 says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, the sorrow of the world worketh death. But that's a key, key proof text. Godly sorrow precedes salvation. Godly sorrow creates a sense of repentance unto salvation, belief and faith, one coin. Repentance, belief, and faith, one coin. One thing. It's not two things. It's not works. It's a spirit that people have about them. Um, so there's this deep sense of sorrow. Thirdly, we learn repentance must involve a deep sense of change, of change. It changes you from the inside out. 
It changes your perspective. It changes the way your face looks. It changes the way you dress. It changes the way you do your hair. It changes the way you walk. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you do business. It changes every area of you never used to go to church on Sunday. You used to go out to the beach and used to play. You used to go camping. But when you get born again, you, you drop all that stuff and you come to a, a local church and hear some red-faced Baptist preacher talk about the Bible. And this sings these strange songs, these songs of Zion. And you, you sing different songs than the world sings. And you, you hear different preaching than the world hears. And you begin to talk differently than they talk and think differently than they think and have different values than they have. And your life is transformed. By the renewing of your mind. That's what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 2 says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of the God, as you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Hmm. It's God's work in us. And you know what? I don't want anybody to doubt whether I'm saved. I don't want the preacher to have to go, well, I hope he made it. I want him to say, preacher, that light's hell. He was saved. He's born again. I believe he's born again because of this, 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 and this. Works meet or equal to real, honest repentance. Amen. I'm not to judge. I can't judge whether you're saved or not. But I, I, one guy said I'm a fruit inspector, you know. You can just say, by your fruits you shall know them, by your works. And it makes the words of Jesus make sense when he said to these two people, the woman in adultery and the layman, go and sin no more. See, if they had they gone back and sinned and gone back into the same stuff, it would have proved them to be phonies. Phonies. I love the story of the woman at the well. One of my favorite stories of all the Bible. The woman at the well. This woman had been married like Zsa Zsa Gabor. Anybody remember Zsa Zsa Gabor? Mm-hmm. How many remember Elizabeth Taylor? They traded, they traded husbands out like you trade cars. And this woman, she traded husbands out. She must have been some kind of knockout because she had five husbands. And then she's living with the guy. By the way, he distinguished between her being married five times and her living with this guy. The guy you have, not your husband. The guy you're living with is not your husband. So he, Jesus distinguishes between those things, marriage and living with someone. So in this society that they were at the time of the first century, that was, she was probably as dirty as dirty can get. She was as low as you go. And Jesus revealed to her that he was the son of God. Now, there was a whole bunch of people that he didn't reveal that to. A whole bunch of, 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 oh, a whole bunch of good folks. And I was stunned when I first read it. I think, well, we're looking for the Messiah to come. When he comes, he's going to teach. He says, the one speaking to you. I am he. What? You tell that woman you? Because there was a sense of repentance that you can, by reading through that, you see, she says, man, 
This man, this is the one we're looking for. I got he got saved. She went and told the whole town, man. They came. She turned her black book in. She got born again. God came to seek and to save that which is lost. Nobody in this room sins so much you can't be saved. You can be saved. Nobody's done so any, nobody's done anything so hideous that God would reject you if you'll be willing to repent and trust him by faith. I hope you've repented tonight. I hope your life is a testimony of works. I like this one statement. I'll close it. If I can remember the statement, I'll, I'll close with the statement. If you were convicted of being a Christian, put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you get the Mueller report? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You know what I did when I first time I heard her dad? When I heard that years and years ago when I was probably in my, probably 20 years old or less. I, I said to my wife, we're going to get some stuff I want you to put up on the walls. Like Jesus saves. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I said, put that stuff up on the walls. She, she I don't know whether it was knitting. Is Kelly here? Remember that thing you put on there? You did the loop in the back and... You can't see the picture from the front, but you do it from the back, and I don't know somehow it turns out. Remember, you put that up on the wall till it got so dirty we threw it away. You know, things get dirty. They get old. They get dirty. But I remember, wasn't it orange, Kathy? Wasn't it an orange color? It was an orange color. I remember that hanging up on the wall. Yeah, what did it say? The the Lord is my shepherd. I said, put that up there because if I die. I want him to come in the house and go, I think this guy was saved. I think this guy, I think this guy was saved, man. Look at that. Why, well, an unsaved person wouldn't put that up on the wall, would they? I went into one of our members. One guy left the church here. And I went over to his house. He says, I'm leaving the church. I, I tried to go visit him, you know, and I went over there to visit him. Preacher, you appreciate this. I walk in his house, and the first thing I see is a velvet Elvis. Know the Lord is my shepherd. Then I see another Elvis, the head bobble Elvis, the hips bobble. Then I see some everything. His house was plastered with Elvis Presley. I'm thinking, something don't seem right about that. You know what I mean? Who's your God? Well, who your God is is who you're going to show. That's why I want a bumper sticker on my, on my uh, I want something on my car to identify this is a Christian vehicle. I want something on my, on my house to say this is a Christian house. At the begin, at, when, you, when you drive into my house, before you get in the gates, the Ten Commandments to the right. At my gate is uh, a Psalm 127 which I've memorized a hundred times and forgotten a hundred times. And it says basically, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor, labor in vain that build it. Unless the, horse, unless the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. I'll, I'll put that right on the right of my gate. 
And beside that I put, there's nothing inside worth dying for. In Spanish and in English. And then I put on the left of that, we don't call 911. And then I put, the fastest way to see the Lord is not by prayer, but by trespassing. Because I think I want to mingle all those things together. So if you come visit me, call. I had a UPS guy show up one day and he says, I ain't going to get shot, am I? I said, no. No, we haven't shot anybody yet. But we'd like to tell you about Jesus. Oh, because before you die, we want to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Thank you for the word of God. We pray, Father, that in the sound of my voice, this thing's going to go all over the Internet, all over the world, 34 different foreign countries or more. May the people listening to it honestly and truly, may they have repented. May they have a spirit of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may because of that there be a sense of guilt, a sense of sorrow. May there be a sense of change. May you come in and transform us by the renewing of our minds, by the blessed Holy Spirit. You say, Brother Bill, why should I be separate from the world? Because you're saved and born from above. You're different than that. It's just part of your salvation. The biggest insult we could do as a Christian is try to be like the world after we got saved out of it. He dug us out of this miry pit and put our feet upon the solid rock and established our going. God forbid if we go back into the miry pit and start wallowing around like a pig returned to the mud. God help us to stand away from it lifts you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.